On this week's episode of the I-501CU podcast, we are doing a dual interview once again. We are interviewing the managing partner for No Margin, No Mission, uh, Larry Clark and Mike Oxman. Larry and Mike have been friends for quite some time and really transformed the nonprofit sector by helping nonprofits implement social enterprise programs. So please join us, join me as I interview Mike and Larry. Hey everybody, this is Michael Corley. Just wanted to let you know, we are now sending out a weekly, very brief newsletter, tips, tricks, pointers to nonprofit executives. That includes both board members and CEOs, executive directors. If you're interested in receiving this, please go to thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter, and you can sign up once again, that's thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter. Well, I'm very excited today to introduce two friends or to interview two friends, colleagues, people I just have great admiration for on this week's episode of the I-501CU podcast. Mike Oxman and Larry Clark, they're both principals for No Margin, No Mission. They're all about in earned income. Now, I'm very excited to people for people to learn more about earned income in the nonprofit setting. So, I'm just going to stop there and I'm going to ask Mike and Larry, would you please introduce yourselves? Tell us how you came about your career path up to forming No Margin, No Mission. And then we'll go into talking a little bit about No Margin, No Mission. Mike? Great. Thanks, Michael. So uh, for the first 25 years of my career, I was immersed in the ad agency world. Uh, as a senior executive, I worked with a number of global brands like Procter & Gamble, General Motors, Chiquita Brands International, uh, and the list goes on. Lots of different product and service categories. Uh, I was heavily involved in um, strategic work, in developing ad campaigns, in business development, and I loved what I did. But interestingly, um, for many of those years that I was in the ad agency world, what I particularly enjoyed was working with nonprofits. Uh, and whether it was working with them on developing a pro bono advertising campaign or volunteering to serve on one of their boards, I just had a, a real interest um, in that category. So one of the things that made an impression on me um, while I worked with nonprofit organizations was um, some insight and understanding that I had from a number of CEOs, executive directors, and board members who would often say when I said, you know, what keeps you up at night? Um, you know, I'm, we're on a fundraising treadmill and we can't seem to ever get off it. And I thought that was interesting. I wasn't quite exactly sure what to make of it because I was very much a novice in the sector. But I kind of filed it away for a number of years uh, until I was pondering kind of my next career chapter. And that next career chapter actually was, it's, it kind of started with a serendipitous meeting and introduction uh, with someone that took place at a branding conference that I was at in Seattle, um, which then led to an interesting business opportunity while I was still in the ad agency world with that individual and his firm, which then led to a friendship, which then led to the start of kind of a professional partnership, which then led to the formation of No Margin, No Mission. Um, and that year was 2011, so already going back, uh, I guess, about 12 years. And um, it was with a guy named Larry Clark, who's going to introduce himself 
uh, in a moment. And uh, we launched this practice called No Margin, No Mission based on insight and understanding that we both had and also a very uh, complementary skill set. And um, uh, with that, I'm going to let Larry introduce himself. Thanks, Mike. Um, thanks for having us, Michael. Uh, I was in the nonprofit sector for 28 years working in a social enterprise. As president of a foundation, we produced health curriculum materials, sold them throughout the world, actually, in every single state and a number of foreign markets. Um, I loved seeing that mission impact on children's lives because we actually sold the curriculum uh, to the school districts and um, took the proceeds from that, created a reserve fund, and then provided grants in Washington State around health education efforts. And to the point of boards, I had a very, very supportive board because they understood the practice that we were in, the impact that it was making, and you know, kind of measuring the mission impact and the margin that we made. So I'm passionate about working with nonprofits, um, see that positive change that occurs if you ask them the right questions, um, and they're ready for that creative change themselves. So in 2011, I realized it was time for me to take a risk, for me to change, uh, and partner with this guy, Mike, and uh, reform the large mission and really haven't looked back. Well, you really haven't looked back. The past 12 years have been just, it's been fun to watch you grow your trajectory in the good you're doing in the community. So two, two questions. First of all, how in the world did you get that awesome name, No Margin, No Mission, what a great name and great URL. And tell us a little bit about what, what y'all do on a daily basis. Well, one of the advantages of having been in the ad agency world for 25 years was uh, bringing that unique perspective to uh, brand branding, brand identity, marketing, advertising, and communications. As we said, uh, Larry and I have complementary skill sets, areas of expertise. So each one of us has kind of maintained those things that we brought to No Margin, No Mission. The name No Margin, No Mission uh, was a, uh, I think it came to us very, very early on as we were in planning discussions to launch this practice when we realized that a buzz phrase uh, among nonprofits, foundations, philanthropy was no margin, no mission. We heard it spoken by many, many people. And we said, I wonder if we could get that URL, which we could, and we wonder uh, if we start to use it, if we could own sort of the Google page one, uh, number one listing for no margin, no mission, which pretty much from the beginning we have owned um, since we started this practice. So yes, if you Google no margin, no mission, despite there being several million entries for it, we consistently come up in the number one slot. So um, what is No Margin, No Mission? Um, to, I guess, just succinctly describe it, it's really a, it's a unique consulting practice. Uh, as we said, it launched in 2011, but it's focused 100% on helping nonprofit organizations boost their revenue and mission impact through earned income and social enterprise. That is our niche, much like our name says, and that's our exclusive focus. We don't do strategic planning, even though we're frequently asked. We don't 
do fund development, uh, and we don't do board development. Uh, unlike you, Michael, who is very immersed in uh, in board work. So while those topics are uh, certainly important to us in the work we do, we really know what our um, swim lane is, and and that's what we stay in. Um, since the beginning, we've really far partnered with two different types of audiences or target markets. The first is foundations and philanthropic organizations that engage with us to work with their nonprofit grantees or partners. Um, we've worked for 10 years, as you know, with the Patterson Foundation uh, on earned income initiatives. We've worked for five years with the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. And we've worked with a number of other foundations and philanthropic organizations over the years. Quantum Foundation, Allegheny Franciscan Ministries, and the list goes on. The other audience that we work with is to engage directly with nonprofits that want to hire us um, and, and fund our work essentially out of their own operating budgets or perhaps through a funder that um, they are aligned with. But in both cases, whether it's with foundations or nonprofits directly, our goal is to help nonprofits do five things. So one is we really want to help um, them to explore earned income possibilities, open their minds um, to what are all the various options for uh, earned income. And trust us when we say there are many, I, I mean, the, the number of earned income possibilities are infinite, but it's about opening your minds to thinking about what they could be. Well, Mike, let me ask you, and maybe this is a Larry question. I do want to come back to those, but why should a nonprofit consider earned income? Good question. Uh, we believe nonprofits should have diverse income streams. So imagine that pie and most of it, a large percentage is coming from grants and donations at this point for nonprofits. And what can happen? You know, grants and donations frequently have res are restricted. Um, events, you know, they're, they're told how, how the funds can be used. Earned income, nonprofits can generate earned income. It, it can help them expand their mission if it's a mission-focused board. And they generate revenue, which doesn't have strings attached. So they can use that revenue for operations. They could use it for something new. Um, and, you know, hopefully it helps reduce their fundraising activity. So, but bottom line, increase their mission and hopefully have a net revenue out of it. So a clear, a clear case study and nonprofits out there that are listening and board members specifically, since that's who we we're speaking to, is you ought to consider generating earned income. And these are the two gentlemen that may be able to help you do that. Mike, I interrupted you, so let, let's go back to you. And you, you said there were five, so um, please please share with us the, the next four. So um, again, once we've worked with an organization to help them you know, sort of identify their earned income possibilities, then our goal is for them to focus on one in particular that um, they have vetted, that's gone through a bit of a screening process um, and that ultimately is a good, viable earned income opportunity and to help them develop a, a thoughtful, comprehensive strategic business plan for that earned income venture. 
without a business plan, um, it would be really challenging for a, for that venture to get off the ground and be successful. Thinking through all the components um, that are going to be essential to either launching a brand new business or growing an existing one. From there, we always uh, want to offer our assistance um, in helping that organization raise the needed startup or growth capital to get that venture off the ground. In the nonprofit sector, oftentimes we try to do um, as much as we possibly can with existing funds, and oftentimes that can be um, a formula for failure. Businesses, to get them off the ground or to grow them and take them to the next level requires some working capital, and we're strong believers in that. From there, if they've got some capital that they can actually use to bring their business plan to life, we work with them to, to help them implement that plan. Uh, it's critical to write the plan, but it's even more critical to actually implement it and bring it to life. Uh, you know, the best looking, best thought out plan, if it sits on a shelf, does not do any good. And then once that business plan has been implemented, uh, we like to stay with an organization to help them track and monitor their progress over time. So setting, reaching sort of the markers and the goals that are in that business plan, whether they're financial, uh, mission related or otherwise is, is really important. So we'd like to stay with them and offer them that support to ensure that they're doing well. Uh, they may need some course correction. They may need to revisit where things are at, but offering that support, that continued con consultation and guidance. And I've seen firsthand how how hands-on you are from a consulting perspective, and I think it's absolutely necessary. And so to those of you who are listening, it, the, the earned income journey can be a challenging one, but having the right consultants to help you can certainly make the pathway a little bit easier. L let me ask you too, I don't know who, which, who was going to answer this question, but when you look at a nonprofit, what behaviors or characteristics need to exist before they should even consider an earned income opportunity? So uh, I, I'll start with, with this one. And, um, you know, Larry, if you want to chime in, feel free. Um, when, when we think about behaviors or characteristics that need to exist, we like to talk about um, sort of a lesson learned um, through our work extensively with the Patterson Foundation it's something we call LWRCC. Michael, I know that um, in your uh, podcast with Deborah Jacobs, she talked about this. But um, LWRCC is a sort of a, 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 an important um, set of criteria that nonprofits should look at themselves through as a lens, and we like to look at them through. It stands for Leadership, Willingness, Readiness, Capacity, and Culture. And it's really important um, for nonprofits to, to um, sort of look inward and say, you know, what kind of behaviors, what kind of, um, what's the situation for our organization in terms of leadership? Do we have an engaged and committed executive director and CEO uh, and board um, when it comes to earned income and social enterprise? Have they bought in? Is it something they fundamentally believe in? Or are there those who are naysayers and might be 
sort of at odds. Sure. Uh, is does the organization have the willingness to um, pursue an earned income venture or endeavor? Do they have the desire? Do they have the enthusiasm for it or not? Um, do they have the readiness? You know, are they prepared to take action uh, when it comes to uh, an earned income venture? Uh, it, and we like to we like to ask and ask those organizations to think about. Is their staff ready? Is their do are their donors ready? Are their volunteers ready? In addition to their board and their uh, CEO, they have the capacity, and this is a really big one. Uh, profits are oftentimes stretched for, for capacity, both uh, financially and uh, in terms of kind of the the uh, human capacity. So, do they have the available resources to be able to invest um, and pull it off? And then, lastly, uh, culture. So is the organization and the team um, poised with sort of an entrepreneurial spirit and culture? Do they think about um, what they do through that lens, or do they tend to be a team and an organization that is stuck in, we've always done things a certain way, and we're going to continue to do them a certain way? So uh, those are five sort of, you know, I think behaviors and criteria that we really like to start with and encourage organizations to look at. Larry, let me ask you the next question. I want to move along. What role do board members play in implementing an earned income effort? It's a great question. Um, overall, they need to show support. They need to be a part of the process. And we've learned over the past, you know, 10, 11 years, the board members have to be involved from the very beginning. Um, what's the idea that they're going to take to the next level or, um, you know, be supportive of that uh, team as the team moves forward in the planning? They offer a really good perspective um, sitting on the board, but they all bring skill sets to the table too. Many of them are professionals out there in the field. They're asking different types of questions. Um, and you know, bottom line, they also help raise some startup capital as the business starts to get off the grounds or the growth capital. So they're kind of the, the keepers of the mission for the organization, and they need to hold the CEO, the ED, accountable to make sure that they move forward, that they're taking action, uh, that their budget's being delivered on. So there's some accountability measures for those there. Mike and I are pretty accountable, make them accountable during the planning process and implementation, and the board needs to do the same. So, you know, they're, they're partners, but also they hold accountability. You mentioned in there's uh, fundraising. I do want to cover this topic. So does this create an, you know, a lot of nonprofits say, oh, I can't do earned income. I got to focus on, tr you know, fundraising from a traditional perspective. I'll use that term. What opportunities are created from a fundraising perspective when you pursue pursue an earned income venture. Right. Well, um, I think there's a number of opportunities um, that, you know, essentially get uh, sort of queued up as a result of this. One is, you know, we always say that innovation and entrepreneurial thinking can spark interest among new donors. So, um, you know, an, an organization would be well advised, whether it's in earned income or any other area, to be thinking innovatively, 
to also, um, as they're as they're thinking about an earned income venture, it actually might reignite interest among existing donors or previous donors. So don't be afraid to go back to those who have funded you for one reason or another and say, you know, look, we're we're doing something that's unique and different. Uh, and can we, you know, sort of bring you in? Um, another way that creates opportunities for donors is that earned income brings um, sustainable revenue to nonprofits, and that appeals in and of itself to both new and existing donors. The whole idea that um, they're sort of stepping off that, um, I guess that fundraising treadmill that I referenced earlier to look for ways to generate um, some some earned revenue that doesn't have strings attached and can be sustained over time is appealing. And then uh, one last opportunity is that, you know, when an earned income initiative is supported, endorsed by a foundation or a philanthropic partner like the Patterson Foundation or like the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, um, by virtue of their endorsement, it can bring new donors to the table and engage them um, to want to participate. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to note, I want to emphasize something you shared, Mike, is new donors or past donors. When, when, when you all work with a group in this example, they really do walk with, out with a business plan that is probably one of the best business plans I've ever seen. It is thorough. It's respectable. And it's something you would take if you were in the for-profit sector. You would take that book and use it to go fundraise. So that is the same thing. So if, if you've got a business, people that are heavy business oriented in your orbit, nonprofits, you may be surprised how many individuals would be willing to financially support the startup, if you will, the startup cost to to launch that venture. Now, I, I know something that the audience is going to want to hear, gentlemen, and, and um, is just some examples Paint the picture a little bit about wh what are some organizations that have created, you know, quickly cr created an earned income venture, and then what were the results of that? So get, give our audience some examples of what is, has transpired and been successful. Yeah, I'll give you, uh, I'll, I'll start. So um, Charlotte County Habitat for Humanity, um, down in Charlotte County, is an organization that we worked with. They had a resale store in place, but didn't have a business plan. Um, it was kind of moving forward. They were doing the work that they were doing, and it was generating some revenue. They joined uh, No More Margin Mission Mission, and uh, we helped them develop a business plan. And it kind of it took their whole resale store to a whole another level as far as revenue. Changed their operations, changed their systems they have within, and then we did a second business plan with them because they were so successful in the first, and they actually replicated. And opened up a new store. So habitats are um, a good example of uh, organizations we've worked with with business plans. Well, and you implemented the business plan. You coached them through that, and you helped them implement. So yes, the success was really transformational for that organization. But boy, it was not without a, a lot of work. But I, I think you all should take some credit for that. And of course, the, Charlotte County Habitat had that LWRCC that that Mike talked about. So very, very well done. And Mike, uh, example that you have. A good example, um, which, you know, was it, it, it came to this organization called Charlotte Preparatory School. It's in uh, Port Charlotte, Florida. 
And they came to our margin and mission ignition learning labs, just wanting to learn about earned income and explore earned income possibilities. You know, a school is uh, one of those organizations that you wouldn't necessarily think would want to focus on earned income. But as they explored their possibilities, they came up with a really cool idea, which was to launch a school store, uh, which was ultimately called The Fin Shop. Uh, the dolphin is their mascot. And the, the real focus was not just having a store, but also um, offering it as an entrepreneurial curricul curriculum in the school to involve the students, the kids, um, to teach them about enterprise, to get them to actually work in the store, uh, merchandise the store, and ultimately to launch it by selling a variety of things, you know, the usual suspects like hats and hoodies and, um, and, uh, and other sort of branded logo merchandise. But they also had the sort of aha moment that, wow, what if we actually sold school supplies in the store and school supply kits? So remember, at the beginning of every school year, teachers have a, this, this list of school supplies that you need to get. And instead of going out to Target and Walmart and Amazon and buying them and putting those dollars into those big for-profit companies, why not sell the school kits through the store? And they ultimately did that. Uh, fast forward to today, that store generates about $100,000 in revenue just through selling all those things I talked about. And they also sell snacks, um, beverages, and other uh, healthy food items, which creates these long lines in their store every single day. So they've got a built-in wonderful enterprise that you know started as just a result of exploring earned income possibilities. Well, clearly financially successful, $100,000 a year is nothing to sneeze at for an organization of that size. And that's been fun, absolutely fun to watch. But but Mike, I want to talk a little bit about the ripple effect. I'm going to start with you and then go to Larry. And, and maybe you could talk about the ripple effect within Charlotte Prep. What did they do? Didn't they, they kind of created an opportunity for students to become entrepreneurs. They did. And it's been interesting because students have uh, not just taken an interest in it, but a number of them have a real passion and have now identified sort of business enterprise and even mission aligned nonprofit enterprise as part of their career thoughts and thinking. Um, we learned that by going through this process, one of the ripple effects was just sort of introducing some rigor and some discipline and some new ways of thinking into the school, the students, the teachers, the faculty, and even the parents. That's not something that just happens easily, especially in a school setting uh, when you're, you know, wet applied with sort of business and enterprise. Uh, new tools and systems and processes and procedures. Um, that was another ripple effect. So in fact, they have taken what they learned through this initiative and actually applied it to sort of a spin-off of this fin shop, and it's now called the Silver Fins. So what they did is they brought in a group of grandparents and did a spin-off business venture, and that's also done quite well. So, you know, uh, lots of ripple effects for them, new technology, uh, marketing, 
communications, and the list goes on. Oh, oh, I can imagine. And for the audience, the ripple effect is what have been the ancillary benefits beyond the financial impact of, of implementing an earned income project? And, and the experience has been, it is transformational for a lot of organizations. Larry, would you share with us some of the observations you've seen in terms of this ripple effect? You know, just as, as Mike said, the rigor, the tools, technology, definitely. Um, marketing communications, you know, they, they each organization we've worked with, you know, Habitat being one and Charlotte County Prep being one, they've taken that communication to a different level. And again, we want them to be on Google page one if somebody's looking for them. Um, and most of them accomplish that within a very short amount of time. Um, I think the sales, you know, developing that business and sales expertise, most nonprofits don't have that. Um, these two nonprofits, they each, you know, put a CRM program in, which is customer relation management system. They're keeping track of that sales funnel that they have. Um, and they realize that um, they need the right type of staff in the right position to be able to do that. Um, I guess the last thing I'll mention is community partners and strategic alliances that have been created. Sometimes you need that partner to actually help you get the product out the door or to service it in the marketplace. Um, and a, a different example is um, Girl Scouts aren't baking the cookies that they sell. They have to have partners out there to produce the cookies and bake them for them, right? So the model won't work without their production partners. So there's a lot of earned income um, businesses out there that need that kind of partner to actually get the business off the ground. You know what I observed of both of you all, and you, and you touched both touched on this, and that's the rigor and the discipline. And when you implement, if you really want to do it right, I mean, we can all try, we've all tried to start businesses or whatever, you know, you kind of um, do it you know, halfway. But if you really want to do it right, under this model is heavy, heavy discipline and rigor. And it's as if you are starting a business because you are. And I would argue it's every bit as rigorous as for-profit businesses because the desire is a return on investment. But the ancillary benefits are really profound. We're transforming organizations throughout. Any comments on that? I think the, um, you know, the rigor, discipline, absolutely critical. Also, you know, just having a sense for and an understanding about, you know, to do it and do it well um, and to sort of have the ingredients to succeed, you know, be aware that it requires significant investment of time, energy, and resources. So, you know, you've heard us say this many times before, Michael, but earned income in social enterprise is not for the faint of heart. Um, so go into it with the understanding that like anything else that you do within your organization, you're going to have to, you know, work hard at it. Um, another thing we like to, you know, at least recognize is that when a nonprofit wants to get into earned income and social enterprise, think about it, you know, for the long haul. This is not a hobby. It's a business, as you said, and that requires um, sort of the, the, the thinking that we're going to be doing this with um, continuity and uh, we're going to stay with it over time. Uh, another thing we, we like organizations to think about is that you know, markets shift, things change, the world can change on a dime. You know, we lived recently through a pandemic, which created interesting um, hurdles, challenges, and situations that organizations had to be aware of. So when that happens, 
when you have an earned income venture or a social enterprise, be prepared to weather the storm, pivot, you know, as needed and course correct. And, um, you know, again, we just like to make sure that teams within nonprofit organizations consider those things, are aware of them. And, um, and remember, like, it's not, this is, earned income is not the be all end all. It is um, not the panacea, but it's another way to generate revenue to help your organization, you know, become stronger and more thriving. So, um, you know, go into it with that mindset and that understanding. And I think that's important. I'm sorry, Larry, go ahead. I I was just going to add one thing that, you know, from a board member's perspective, um, having the staff keep the board in communication all along when those ripple effects are happening, when those challenges are occurring. So there's no surprises to the ED at the board meeting or to the board. Um, And hopefully they're moving forward with a light mind, making those decisions along the way. You know, what y'all are sharing are best business principles and practices. And we, people often say you should run your nonprofit like a business, which I could argue is is really not the best of advice for any number of reasons. But there is a part to it. And you two are living that and implementing it right now. These are, are business practices that really do transform nonprofits in, in, in a very good way. Gentlemen, how do if our listeners are interested, if they're on the board of a nonprofit and go, scratching their head going, wow, I'd really like to learn more about how we can get into the social enterprise business their earned income business. Where, where can they learn more uh, about you? Uh, there's a number of ways they can learn more about us. One is through our website, nomarginnomission.org. Another is on our social media. We're on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, uh, they can email us at moxman at nomarginnomission.org or lclark at nomarginnomission.org. And we'll put all that in the show notes so people can easily uh, reach out to either one of you or, or both of you, for that matter, and learn more. So, Mike, Larry, I truly appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Any last comments from from either one of you? Larry, any last comments, parting comments for the audience? Um, I just, uh, if you're interested, please reach out to us. Uh, we have a, a good track record. And thank you, Michael, for having us on. Mike Oxman. I would just add that um, we think that every nonprofit organization should at least educate themselves about earned income, should at least explore possibilities for earned income. Uh, Just about every uh, nonprofit has uh, sort of assets, if you will, that they could look at, think about, and monetize. And just initiating that thought process um, and and really uh, taking sort of a first step is important. Where they decide to go from there ultimately is up to them, but um, we're certainly here to, uh, to help them uh, initiate the, the process. Well, Mike and Larry, I'm grateful for your time. I think people have benefited from your expertise and wisdom. I've seen it, I don't think. I know I have seen it firsthand, and I think the work you're doing is really, really special. So thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Oxman, Larry Clark, managing partners for No Margin, No Mission. That's nomarginnomission.org. And we will see everybody next week on I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members. So we just heard from Mike Oxman and Larry Clark of No Margin, No Mission. And this is a recapping with Reed segment. Reed, what were your three takeaways from our interview? 
the role that board members can play when it comes to earned income for their organization is to show support and be part of the process. Yeah, continue with their oversight, the fiduciary responsibilities, really not get too knee-deep in the implementation unless they're they're asked to, which could be the case, but really to play that oversight and supportive role. Number two. When a nonprofit wants to get into earned income, they need to think about it for the long haul. Like they said, it's not a hobby. This is a business. Amen. And number three. They believe that every nonprofit should at least educate themselves on the possibilities for earned income. I think that's a really good point, Reed, because I've seen them work their magic with nonprofits who think they have nothing to offer, nothing to sell, and they they take them through a process. And on the other end, they find oftentimes that nonprofits do have something to offer and to sell and can make a business case out of it. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, recapping with Reed from this week's segment of the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members, and we will I-501CU next week. <laughs>